song. It is true, isn't it? Lest we forget. <clears throat> Turn your eyes and look at Calvary. Lest we forget what? Lest we forget how much God must love us. Lest we forget the love of God. I heard somebody say, when you look at Calvary, you not only see the love of God, but you see the hatred of God. And that's kind of a shocking thing to think about. Lest we forget the hatred of God. <clears throat> the hatred of God for what? For sin. The hatred of God for sin. How much does God hate sin? So much that there had to be a Calvary. So much so that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the innocent Lamb of God, had to be crucified so horribly, bloodshed. But yet, see the love of God for sinners. And what a thing to remember as we sing that song. Take your Bible tonight, Mark chapter 3 is where we're going back in our series as we're talking about this servant Son of God, this one who came to be the propitiation, the satisfying sacrifice for our wicked, terrible sins. The one who came at Christmas time that we've been thinking about and talking about over this last month and who has made all the difference. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He came and last week we talked about in Mark chapter 2, uh, the last half of it, we spoke on the opposition that the Lord faced um, in Mark 2, 13 through 3, 6. Uh, we didn't get through all of it. We got through the first three mainly. And I want to go back and do a little review of that, finish that out. And then if time allows us tonight, we'll carry on into Mark uh, 3 some more and see what it says. But before we begin, you're at Mark 3 there. Let's bow our heads and let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, we thank you for your blessings today, your goodness on us. Lord, we thank you for the food that we ate earlier today and, and God, the fellowship that we've had and the time with family and our spouses and our children and God, a, a day that we can set aside to come together to worship you. Lord, every day ought to be worship days, uh, but Lord, we thank you for Sunday. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means to us today. Lord God, we thank you for the songs that we just sang and, and uh, Lord, I pray that you'll help us now as we're opening up your word, that you'll help us, Lord, to see the things that uh, are before us. Lord, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. May the Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, enlighten us, each one individually, uh, God, to apply the truths to our own lives. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we went through this, uh, again, quickly, Christ's response to opposition uh, we saw in chapter 2, beginning with verse 13 and down, that first of all, they accused Jesus, that is the, the spiritual leaders, the, the religious moral leaders of the day, accused Jesus, first of all, of moral carelessness. He called Levi, the publican, to himself and said, come and follow me. And he began gathering this sinful crowd around himself, and Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. And we say amen to that, because we are all sinners. We need a friend like Jesus. Uh, of course, they were accusing him of moral carelessness. But what the Old Testament law could not do, Jesus had come to do. The Old Testament law could not forgive sinners. All the blood of bulls, all the blood of goats and lambs and, 
and pigeons and, and uh, these birds that they would sacrifice, all of that was a symbol and a sign of what was to come. And here he was, the one who was a friend of sinners. And only the sick need a doctor, he said. And Jesus has come to be that physician, the friend of sinners. Well, number two, they accused him of a lack of seriousness. Um, we saw where Christ and his disciples were not observing some fast in chapter 2, and uh, that they, uh, according to the Pharisees, should have been uh, uh, observing. But instead of fasting, we see that they are, uh, are feasting. And Jesus has come. Good tidings, the angel said, of what? Great joy. We have good news. Unto you is born this day the Savior, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Well, but they accuse him. And they say that, well, he lacks seriousness. The Old Testament experience of fasting and sackcloth and ashes and solemn and sadness. Jesus has come and those days are done. The bridegroom came. Jesus Christ came and he brought abiding gladness and joy. And Christians today, though we face trials and hardships, we still ought to be the most joyful, shouldn't we? We should be the happiest people on the planet today, even in the midst of those trying circumstances. What a testimony that is to this world who sees that peace and that joy that passes understanding. Well, the third thing that they accused him of was a failure to distinguish between the sacred and the secular. And this is where we left off last week. Um, he is going through the cornfields, picking corn, he and his disciples, and eating it. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, he was doing it on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, and boy, the, 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 those who were watching them, keeping an eye on them, they didn't like that. What are you doing, Jesus? Well, Jesus has come. Things are changing, aren't they? Things are changing for these folks in this day. And your whole life now is sacred to the, to the Lord. Your whole life is a sacred altar to God. But shouldn't we still distinguish between the sacred and the secular? I want to talk about that for just a minute tonight again and just kind of Hit that one more time before we move forward. Again, we're comparing what's happened with the Old Testament. The Old Testament veil has been torn in two. Do you remember that? When did that happen? Well, Jesus goes to the cross. The horrible things that he went through. And while on that cross, the veil in the temple rents right in two. Rents in two from top to bottom, the Bible tells us. And that's quite a thing to think about because that was quite a veil. If you study the scriptures, and, and this is no little thing. This wasn't something some man was going to do. And God did this. God ripped that veil in two. Why? Because there's no separation now. There's no distinguishing now for the Christian. It's all supposed to be holy. The entire life of the Christian is supposed to be holy and sacred unto God. The holy place is open now for you and me to boldly come into through the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, Christ has opened the way and everything now in the Christian's life is to be sacred. There's no more division between clean and unclean, Jew and Gentile, sacred and secular. His law is written not on tablets of stone, but where is his law written now? On tables of the heart, on fleshly tables of the heart. His law has written, been written on our hearts. So no longer do people come and say, you must obey the Lord. Well, they do. They, we should obey the Lord. But we obey the Lord from our hearts if we truly know the Lord. How do you know you're a Christian? 
well, I remember praying a prayer. Well, I remember walking down an aisle. Well, all these things are wonderful. God can give them to us to help us. That's not how you know you're a Christian. You know you're a Christian tonight. Your faith is in Jesus Christ. And the fruit of your life is he has written his law on your heart. You want to obey him. Do you always do it perfectly? If you're like me, you don't. You want to, but you fall and you fail. But God pricks your heart, right? The Holy Spirit pricks your heart. You can't get away with it. The Father doesn't let the children get away with it. His sheep know his voice, the Lord Jesus. And they obey him and they follow him. They will follow him. So what do we do with this sacred and secular thing? Is there a, is there a distinguishing now? Is it, are some things in our life sacred? We talked about it last week. Are some things in our life secular? Some things are sacred. We have this dividing and we tend to do that, don't we? We, we, we compartmentalize our lives and we say, well, that's our, that's the holy stuff. That's the churchy stuff. That's the sacred stuff. And this over here is the secular stuff. This is my job. This is what we have to do at home. But this is church and hymns and preaching, right? Isn't that how we think? Oh, no, 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 that's not what God... I think the Lord Jesus in this passage is trying to show it's all sacred. Jesus, you aren't distinguishing between the sacred and the secular. No, the Bible says right here, and I'll put it up on the screen, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat. Now, how much more secular can you get than that? How much more physical can you get than that? Earthy can you get than that? Whether therefore you eat or drink. We do a good job of those things, don't we? Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether therefore you sing hymns, whether therefore you preach, whether therefore you stand in the choir and you sing a choir song, whether therefore you eat, whether therefore you wash dishes, whether therefore you teach your children or your, your, your school class, whether therefore you run electrical wires through a building, through an attic. Amen. Whether therefore you make shoes, I don't know, unless we just keep going on and on. Whether therefore you work in a factory, whether therefore you mow the grass, do all to the glory of God. Our entire lives are to be a sacred, sacred thing. Whether therefore you walk through the cornfield and pick corn and rub it in your hands and put it in your mouth in order to eat. Do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Of God, And this is an encouragement to us as we go into the new year again. How does this help us? How does this help us? It helps us in this way. If I do everything to the glory of God, it's going to change how I do everything. True? If it's, if it's to the glory of God, and I think I mentioned this last week, if it is to truly the glory of God that I sit down to eat a meal, will it change how I look at the meal? You know, the meal can become an idol. Anything can become an idol. Anything can become an idol. Anything in the church can become an idol. Anything in the workplace can become an idol. Anything in the home can become an idol. And yet, any of those things can also become an instrument of worship to God. I can sit down at a meal, and it can be as sacred as standing in this church singing a hymn. Right? Because it's all to the glory of God. I will give thanks for that food. It may not be my favorite meal. Have you ever come home and your, your wife or somebody prepared the meal and you're like, great. She knows I don't like that. <clears throat> I don't know. Whatever it is. You know, if, if, if in our hearts everything's an altar, if everything is glorifying to God, will it change my attitude? Will it change my heart about being thankful? I saw a picture 
recently, I think it was on Facebook, of a little boy in an African country maybe who was laying on his belly at a mud pit sucking up water. And the person on the picture said, God, if I've ever been thankful, again, remind me. We got it really good, don't we? We have it really, really good. And yet we tend to be so unthankful. So, you know, if, if everything's to the glory of God, it's going to change everything I do. Will it change the way I go to work? <laughs> Will it change the way that I treat the people at work? Will it change the way that I get that promotion? It's not all about me. It's not all about my rising up and my power and the way I look in front of other people anymore. It's not supposed to be. It's all about God. It's all about an act of worship to the Lord. Will it change the way that I sing a choir special in the choir? Will it change the way that I play an instrument? Will it change the way that I speak and preach? It should change everything in my life. If all is truly done to the glory of God. So let us be done with this distinction and this separation of secular and sacred. This separation of sacred and physical even. You know, God has given you your physical body. It, this is a creation of God, isn't it? So should we take care of this body or does it really not matter? You know you're not, that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you and you, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. These fingers don't belong to me. They belong to God. Everything I stand on, everything I sit on, every, everywhere I go becomes an altar. You are a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God. Give your life. It's your reasonable service. This is what the Lord is teaching. This is what he's beginning to show people as he has now come. It's all changing. We are living sacrifices. You're offering your life up to God in whatever you're doing, and it's all a matter of the heart. It's all a matter of the thinking and the way we're thinking about things. You know, sacred simply means, the simplest definition of sacred is connected to God. That's the simplest definition. Connected to God. Everything. Everything. Connected to God. Not separating anything from that thought. That's just a simple thought, isn't it? Take that with you tonight. Take that with you into 2019. And if you go out for a walk, think about it being connected to God. Sacred. Everything you see. You know, isn't it wonderful to see the creation of God and begin to worship Him? as we're taking a walk, as we're driving down the road, all things become sacred. You know, Satan loves to accuse, doesn't he? Does he ever do that to you? Well, you're not really doing anything important in your secular work. You ever think of that? Well, you ought to be. Well, you should be. Wait a minute. Well, look what you're stuck over here doing. You're not making any difference. Is that true? Oh, it changes everything, doesn't it, when you see that all things are to be sacred. All things. God is working through his people as salt out in this world, as light out in this world, in every single area. May he help us to be obedient to him and be that salt and be that light. But it changes everything when you realize that all of it is a is glorifying to God. All of it is sacred. You shine your light for Christ in the mechanic shop. You shine your light for Christ in the factory, in stocking grocery aisles, in caring for the physical needs of people, in washing dishes, in making the next meal for the family, in installing toilets and fixing plumbing problems. You shine your light. 
These daily things ought to be seen as a sacred thing for the child of God. Jesus came into this world, and all of it is something He's given to us to glorify Him back with. All of it is sacred when it's done for the glory of God. Again, encouragement for the new year. Anything can become an idol, though, secular or sacred. Everything should be sacred, but anything can become an idol. Let me say that again. Everything should be sacred, but anything can become an idol. We have to be careful, don't we? We can take all these good things of God and we can sin with anything. Can you sit down to that same meal we talked about a minute ago and sin with it? Well, sure you can. Can you, can you take that job God has given, with, given you and sin with it? Well, sure you can. Can you come to church and sin? Sure you can. Anything can become an idol. Can a job become an idol? Can a spouse become an idol? Can a child become an idol? These aren't bad things. Can going to an independent Baptist church become an idol? Can using a certain Bible version become an idol? Hmm. You know, anything can become an idol. Can worship become an idol? You know, you can worship worship. We're so sinful, we can even worship worship. We, get, we just struggle in every way, every area, don't we? We need to ask God to help us in every single area to make sure our motives are right, our heart is right, and everything is an altar, and everything is sacred and not becoming an idol to us. So, spiritual or the sacred and the physical, all of these things, let's stop the division. So, that takes us in. The Lord had told us here that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting that he said that? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, they were getting things turned around wrong. It was all messed up. Instead of worshiping God with the Sabbath, instead of seeing God's purposes for the Sabbath, they were worshiping the Sabbath. They were worshiping worship. And that takes us into the fourth occasion that we didn't get to last week. And what is that fourth occasion? Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Let's see this fourth thing. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill it? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth, and straightway they took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. How they might destroy him. The fourth occasion is these men not saying a word, just silently watching in order to have some legal reason, some reason to accuse Jesus, some way to trap him. It's the Sabbath day again. It's the Sabbath day. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to do these things. And there's a man in the temple with a withered hand. Jesus comes in. Are they, is he going to heal this man on the Sabbath day? 
Will Jesus heal the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day? And so they silently watch over on the sidelines in order to accuse him. In order to accuse him. These men had no concern whatsoever for the man with the withered hand. None. Only their traditions. Only their traditions. That's all they cared about. Only themselves and only their traditions. And again, let's take this and and think about ourselves tonight. Applying these wherever it might fit for us. Why do we do what we do? This is good for me. It's good for me to think through as I go into a new year. Why do you do what you do? Why do you think what you think? What is the motivation of our hearts? What's the true motivation for why I do what I do? Are we concerned about the name of the Lord and doing good and saving life, as Jesus said there? Or are we more concerned that everybody cross their T's and dot their I's the same way we do? Is that our biggest concern? Is that the greatest heresy? That as long as everybody's dotting their I's and crossing their T's just like me, then everything's good. Or are we truly concerned about people? About people. I could tell you tonight, and I'm not trying to be harsh, but just as an illustration. I could tell you tonight of of missionaries that I know. Some missionaries. And they have to wear a suit and tie. In the sweltering heat, whether they're in a hut in Africa or in a down along the tropics where it's burning up hot. They've got to be wearing a suit and tie. They've got to be using the King James Version Bible. And, and believe me, I'm that's our Bible here. That's what we use. But, but bless God, this is the way we're going to do it. But they refuse to learn the language of the people. Now, let me ask you, what's really are they concerned about in a situation like that? Why are some pastors constantly posting hateful posts on social media about other pastors and about other churches, freely slapping this label of heretic on everybody and anybody? And it seems like they're there all the time. What about all the time that they need to be spending with their people in their church ministering? What are they really concerned about? It's good for us all to think about this, isn't it? Where are we tonight going into this new year? What really is our motivation? What really is our heart tonight? Are we more concerned about who's not here this evening than who is here this evening? So to think about, isn't it? Why, bless God. Where are they at? Should they be here? Probably. But that's none of my business. That's between them and God, isn't it? Should they be encouraged to come? Well, sure, of course. Our pastor did a wonderful job of that this morning. But what about my heart? Their heart needs to get right if they need to be here, and my heart needs to get right if I'm having a bad spirit about it, right? I need to take care of myself. If I can be an encouragement and help to other people, then praise God. God, help me to do it. But wait a minute. Let's all do an inner checkup, right? Let's all do an inner checkup. What's my heart? You know, it's easy for this guy right here in front of you to become pretty pharisaical. And I don't even know it. You know? Isn't that true? I'm not getting in trouble with anybody. Some of you looking at me like, 
Whether amen or not. Yes, it is true. This is why Jesus gave us these lessons. He wants to teach us, all of us. Let's all check our own hearts. Oh, we all have to be careful about our traditions. And we need to have order. We need to have things. that This is what we believe. This is what we do. But at the expense of doing good to another, to save life, as Jesus said. God never promised a reward for every time we correct someone on their... Well, I labeled another Calvinist. There we go. Going to get a reward for that. No, no, no. God never said he'd do that. But he did say you take a cup of cold water in my name you, to someone in need, you will not lose your reward. Now that's something to think about, isn't it? Something to think about. Let's let God set some of these things straight. Let's take care of the grass on our side of the fence. How about that? And the Lord knows how to deal. The Lord knows how to deal with others that aren't even in my circle. Um, all of this is about the importance of people. The importance of people. About grace to hurting and sick people. Well, they cared nothing about the man with the withered hand. Jesus got angry, didn't he? Jesus got angry and he was grieved, it says, for the hardness of their hearts. Oh God, help me not to have a hard heart going into 2019. Even if I've got all my T's crossed and my I's dotted. Just as they're supposed to be. If my heart isn't right. Didn't Paul say something about that? Didn't Paul say that if I had all the talent in the world, and if I could speak with the voice of angels, and I could give to the poor, well, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? And I could even give my body to be burned, but I have not what? Love. It's worthless. All my T's are crossed and I's are dotted, and I got it all right, and I looked the part. If I don't have love in my heart, the Scripture says that it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. God, help us to have a soft heart as we go into 2019, being used of Him as we are on everything. We are an altar to God. As everything is sacred, may my heart be right before Him. Now, in the next few minutes, let's just begin to carry on to the next part of the passage. These Pharisees and Herodians... In verse 6, they don't learn any lessons, apparently. And instead of seeing their need to repent and change their heart, they come together to take counsel in how they may destroy him. Things are progressing now. And again, remember, Mark's, Mark goes fast. Uh, there's a lot that's happening in these first three chapters that a lot of time has gone by. That uh, Mark has just given us boom, boom, boom details. Uh, the cross is coming. Uh, there's been... Uh, a lot of rumblings now going on with this Jesus. Uh, too many people are getting stirred up. Um, and so councils are being held. And here's two political groups who usually hate each other's guts. They're totally against each other. But yet, in their hatred of Christ, they've come together to try to destroy him. So, verse 7. Let's read this next part of the passage, beginning with verse 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Edomia, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon. Well, a great multitude. Um, when they had heard what great things he did, they came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many 
insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues. Dad this morning said we better not shake hands because we could all get sick. Think about this crowd around Jesus. Think about all these people pressing in on him. And it says right there, many of them had plagues. They wanted to get healed. Jesus is busy, isn't he? He's working hard. Think about Jesus. He's the son of God, of course, but he is a man. Does he get sleepy? Does he get tired? We find him sleeping in the bottom of a ship one time. And here he is just busily healing people and teaching people. What else is he doing? Look at verse 11. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the son of God. It's something the devils knew exactly who he was. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into a mountain. And he calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him. And that he might send them forth to preach. And to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter. And James the son of Zebedee. And John the brother of James. And he surnamed them Boanerges. Which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. We'll stop there in that reading. So while the Lord was facing opposition from some, he is at the same time attracting multitudes, multitudes of followers. By the way, that's one reason for the opposition, is because so many are going after him. Um, after the Pharisees and the Herodians take counsel to destroy him, the Bible tells us there that Jesus withdraws to the sea. And Mark, again, gives a summary of that very much service that we talked about. The multitudes grow in numbers from all quarters. Let me show you a map. Um, Whoops, I forgot to put my point up. Christ attracted the multitudes is the first point. But here on this map, we pulled this up a few times in this series, um, the Bible says that they came from different quarters. I just want to show you uh, where they came from. It says there in verse uh, verse 7 that Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. Here's the area of Galilee where Jesus is doing most of his ministry, right up here around the Sea of Galilee. And in these towns, he set up in Capernaum, kind of his headquarters there at the beginning. It says they also came from Judea. That's down here at this part of Israel. Uh, uh, also specifically, it says, from Jerusalem. Many, many people lived in Jerusalem in that day. It was a large city for that day. They were coming from uh, Samaria, I mean, from uh, um, Jerusalem and from Judea uh, and from Galilee, and they came from Edomia. Now, that's another word for Edom. That that area is south there of uh, Judea. Uh, part of it we can't see there on the map. They came from beyond the Jordan River. We don't know exactly where that is, but obviously there's Jews and Gentiles who are coming, it seems, to to see Jesus, to see of these miracles and these things. They came about Tyre and Sidon. That's way up there in the north part where that would be located. The point of this map is to show us people were coming from everywhere. This message was spreading far and wide in that particular region of the world. Now, again, that's a small region of the world, isn't it? We looked at it, we zoomed out on a whole map. These men that he's going to gather around him are going to begin to take this message to the entire world of that day. But here they are, coming to see what great things he did, the Bible says. What great things 
that he did, coming from everywhere, coming from all quarters. The fame of Jesus has now traveled far and wide. Here's a picture I found, kind of a, I thought was pretty eye-opening, of a boat out there in front of a great multitude. Can you imagine the people that were crowding in? I mean, you got people coming from all those quarters, from all around the area, to see this man, to hear what he, people with problems, to see what he would do, to take part in benefiting from those miracles. You know, and let's end with this tonight. Hurting people were attracted to Jesus Christ, weren't they? Because he was the only hope they had. We we read of a woman in the Bible who had an issue of blood, and she had been to doctors, and she had tried everything to get healed, and nobody could help her. Her case was hopeless. She was just going to die from it. And she hears of this Jesus, and what does she do? She, 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 I'm sure she did everything possible to get to him, get to him, get to him, push through the crowd. It doesn't matter what the cost. It doesn't matter what I have to do. I have got to get to Jesus. And the Bible says she touched him, touched the hem of his garment, right? I think that's what it said. And, and power came out of him. I don't understand that, but that's cool. <laughs> How does power come out of Jesus? And yet it did. Jesus, again, was a human, but yet he was the God-man. And I don't know, but here's people who they have no hope. They're, they're helpless. They've got to get to Jesus. And it's still true today. A hurting world should still be attracted to Jesus. Why? Because he's their only hope. He's their only help. And how are they going to be attracted to Jesus? Only by being attracted to his body. Who's his body? That's you and me. That's you and me. And that takes us all the way back to our first point tonight, doesn't it? If my life is a sacrifice and an altar for God tonight, if everything is for Him, if it's not just all about tradition, although these things can be good in their place, if it really is all about people, then you know what's going to happen? A hurting world's going to see it. A hurting world's going to know it. They're going to see things that they don't have. They're going to see lifestyles that they don't know anything about. And, you know, in order to be that kind of person, we're going to have to be different from them. We're going to have to come out of our comfort zones many times. We're going to have to be the Christians God would have us to be. A hurting world should be attracted to the body of Christ in the same way. They should watch us. They should hear our words. They should desire to take part in the benefits of being a Christian. There's nothing greater than being a Christian. That doesn't mean all your problems go away. It's one reason I kind of like the Christmas program. One reason I did like the Christmas program this year. Right? Because at the, in the Christmas program, there's a little girl. You don't find out she's sick until later on in the program. And, and the old man feels terribly bad about it. And at the end, they, at the end, he feels bad about it. He doesn't feel bad about it before, about anything except himself. And then at the end, she's in the hospital. And he goes to the hospital visitor and he trusts Christ as his Savior. But I like the way that it ends. You don't know what happens to the girl. Right? We didn't find out. Did you wonder that when you left? What happened to Lizzie? We don't know. But there's truth in that. Just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean everything turns out to be roses. It doesn't mean everything goes our way. We trust the Lord. Amen? We trust the Lord. We know that whatever He allows, whatever He does, is for our good and His glory. Even the most terrible things that could happen to us. Some of you tonight are going through some terrible things. We trust the Lord. We can trust the Lord. He's working it out. He really is. 
And the world sees our testimony in that. The world sees our reactions. The world sees our responses in these things. And it's a testimony like we could never imagine. We may never see it this side of heaven. God sees it, and other people in this world see it. And they will come to Christ, because He's going to be their only hope. It doesn't attract sinners to have fame, money, swagger, impressive abilities, lots of stuff going on. People need to be loved. May God help me to do that. May God help us to have the heart that we ought to have as we go into 2019. People need hope. Let them see our good works and glorify God, which is in heaven. People need peace in their hearts and lives and joy. And they can't find it. Those with plagues pressed upon him in order for him to touch them and be healed. May God help us to be like Jesus. I can see a father running home to a sick child. He had no hope for that child. He was dying. No hope at all. And after watching Jesus do a miracle, he runs home to that child. He tells that child's mother, I'm bringing him to Jesus. I'm bringing him to Jesus. He's the only one that can help him. I saw him. He healed. He did it. He can do it. Only Jesus can bring true healing. Only Jesus can satisfy a soul. Only Jesus can heal a nation. Only this one who can, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the lessons that he taught us and that were recorded in the Bible. And God, help us to learn. Help us to learn the lessons that the Pharisees did not learn. God, help us to check our own hearts. Help us to be softened, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. God, use us. Lord, we know tonight the importance of having standards. And Lord, why we do cross our T's and dot our I's. Lord, I'm not, I don't want to take away from the importance of those things. But God, I pray they will not become idols. I pray, Lord, that those things will take a, we, we Lord, will take a look. And we'll see, God, how do you want to use us? Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight to see Christ. Maybe in a light we haven't seen him before. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to be the body of Christ in this world that you would have us to be. Lord, thank you for those in our lives that we can think back on. Lord, those people who who displayed this in our lives, maybe Sunday school teachers or parents, people that we went to church with in the past or co-workers, Lord, thank you for them. May we imitate them those who had the right spirits, and those who were true bodies of Christ in this world. Lord, we love you tonight. May our lives be a complete, sacred sacrifice and offering to you in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if we can help you tonight in any way, you let us know. If there's a question in your heart, a man came forward this morning. Uh, he's, he's, he's worried because he has to go to the doctor, and he's afraid he's going to find some bad news. I had the privilege to pray with him this morning and hopefully be an encouragement to him. If there's something we can help you with and pray with you about, that's why we're here. Amen? To help each other, pray with each other. If you're not sure about your own soul tonight, may I encourage you to get that right with God. 
before you leave this building tonight.